Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation at the Star Trek Podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. This should be like a, a holiday today. <laughs> ben, do you know why? Why is today unlike all other days, Adam? It's the occasion of our 400th episode of The Greatest Generation. This is episode 400. Wow. That is a huge milestone. You know, we, I think the last time we talked about a huge milestone was episode 365. And I had so much fun, like people telling us what their birthday episode was, the episode yeah. that lines up with the day of the year they were born on. It's yeah. weird that 400 aligns so closely with when the very first episode came out. Episode one came out January 25th, yeah. 2016. Yeah. And episode 400 comes out January 10th. Uh, not clear where Greatest Generation was on January 6th, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody has asked that question. Unfortunately, no photographic evidence to prove <laughs> where the Greatest Gen was. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Greatest Generation was using their flagpoles for an entirely different reason. Yeah. <laughs> I was, on that uh, day. I was really grinding my teeth on January 6th. Yeah, grinding yeah. them into into sawdust. Four hundred man, six years of work. Yeah, six years of shows coming out every week. I don't know how that math works. Oh, it, it, because we did uh, two episodes a week for such a long time. That's why. That's why. Yeah, man, God, idiots. We were so dumb. <laughs> we were young, dumb, and full of free time. I guess, but not. We both had no. full time jobs back then. This is now our full time job. Yeah. It's like it is. my uncle Ted, when he retired, was uh, saying, I don't know how I ever did it before. I feel like it's a full-time job just keeping up with all the little projects I have around the house. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Going, uncle going, Ted's wise. Going full-time on this, I kind of feel the same way. I'm, I'm, I'm just Uncle Ted, like, uh, like tilling my garden and stuff. I mean, if you tillied your garden, mm. what would that look like? Some cool trading cards of my garden. Oh, I was thinking it might have macaroni and cheese buried in there. That's disturbingly not delicious. The other great news about uh, this episode is it's uh, probably going to be, I mean, not one of the last, but like we're, we're going to start to pass off editing of this show to our, our new producer, Wendy Pretty. And I, I think I'm going to edit this one, but she'll be in the rotation soon enough. And one great thing about having a producer is we're going to be doing a lot more bonus content over in the bonus feed. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of bonus ideas yeah. to explore. Yeah. <laughs> we got a great spreadsheet full of bonus ideas. Yeah. And a bonus spreadsheet full of bonus bonus ideas. Kind of like an outgoing legislator. Uh -huh. I feel emboldened to like... During my last episodes of editing, <laughs> I want to make sure all of every drop that I would ever want to use in the years ahead <laughs> is in the effects rack. Yeah, yeah. Expand all remaining in my perimeter. I just want to cram the effects rack full of Stallone lines from Rambo films <laughs> and everything else I like to use. Wow, the lame duck sessions of Ben and Adam editing right. episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, want to make sure that our, our new great producer is set up for success. Yeah. 
Yeah. And in case I'm looking at the audience right now, those watching at home, mm-hmm. in case you think this is going to change the quality. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, Adam, of- that's not your camera. This this one over here. All right. In case you think this is going to change the quality <laughs> of the show, I got news for you. It's gonna. It's going to get better. For the better. For the yeah. better. <laughs> it's going to get funnier. Yeah. It's going to get tighter. Hosts that are stressed. <laughs> <laughs> not, do not necessarily make the best pod. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. We're going to be loose and conversational. Yeah. It's going to be You're good. You're going to love the tangents we go on. If you like the tangents up until now, buckle up. If you didn't like the tangents, this might be your, your signal to unsubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I stuck with him for 400 and I punched out. <laughs> that was sort of where it went, started to go downhill, <laughs> tangent-wise. It was barely tolerable to begin with. When are we hitting syndication? I keep doing this show just to get syndication checks. Right. I, they're not coming, are they? It was supposed to be 100 episodes, right? God. The, the, the problem is I moved a couple times since then. The oh. checks are probably going to the old house. Yeah, yeah. That mailbox money is uh, is lost in the... <laughs> In transit. God. Gonna be stuck doing this forever. <laughs> That's not the worst news in the world when we get good episodes of Star Trek to review. Yeah. Like this one? Like maybe this one. We will see what our opinion winds up being at the end of the episode, not the beginning. We would never divulge that this early. <laughs> that people listen to the end because they really want to hear our final assessment, right? Yeah. We look at the metrics. We, we we have eyes on the dashboard for this show. We know how long you're sticking around. I don't look at them. I used I to. Do. I used to look at the metrics all the time. I haven't looked in a, in a long time. I mean, does it matter? No. Does it change how you do the show? I don't think it does. does. No, it doesn't. Not for me either. The only thing that changes how I do the show is hiring a super talented and awesome producer. The only thing that changes how I do the show is what's in my glass. <laughs> what are you drinking today? Oh, I'm not drinking. Oh. I mean, I'm I thought I'm you had drinking. some coffee or something. I haven't quit drinking. I'm just not drinking for the show today. Oh, okay. I'm having a little glass of rum, personally. Wow. Tell me more about that. Just a little- Maybe I'll go get one. A little glassarino of rumarino. Hey. Cheers. Is that some noobs? Uh, it is not. I wish it was. Uh, that pair of noobs is good stuff. I think technically, not rum, but aguardiente de caña- Oh Jesus! Uh, this is uh, this is from Mount Gay. Nothing special. Yeah. Grocery store rum. Do you do you want to go get yourself something to sip on, buddy? Yeah, yeah. I have I have kind of a rule like I don't work out drunk. Right. That should be an that should be obvious to everyone. That shouldn't even be a rule. It's so obvious. That's why you're so shredded. But I got that done earlier today, so okay. I'm freed up to do this. I'm going to go get a glass of rum, and I'm going to tell you which rum it is when we come back and talk about Star Trek Voyager season three, episode seven. Sacred ground. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. What you want to do when you go grab something out of the liquor cabinet is see about the rum. Mm -hmm. Pick out a bottle and go, hey, I think I'll kill this bottle. Which is what I said to my wife. And she's like, good. I think that rum tastes like shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember it tasting this way. What I've got is is clarine... Sajuice rum. Do you recognize this bottle? Oh, wow. A pot still rum. Yeah, it looks like uh, 
It's sugarcane rum. I'm, I'm guessing it is a Martinique-style rum. And the different rums that are produced around the world are produced differently depending on what colonizer nation installed the distilleries in the first Bottled place. Bottled by Spirit of Haiti, yeah. Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Yeah, so the French, the like the Fr- former French colonies have a different style. It's a lot more vegetal and herbaceous and uh, I, I would say like a little bit more of an acquired taste than a, an English style rum or whatever. Well, let's see how we did. I, uh, boy, this is just a massive pour to kill this <laughs> bottle. This, there is a... There is five ounces of rum in this glass. Good job by you. That's the kind of thing that you want to enjoy when you're uh, on shore leave on the Nakani homeworld, Adam. It is, uh, it's hot and vegetal. Yeah. It's delicious hot vegetables is what it tastes like. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a steamed broccoli in a Uh glass. (laughs) Yeah. All right, we'll see if it lays down a little bit. Yeah. Hey, Adam, when I went to watch uh, the show today, Star Trek Voyager was not on the streaming platform I'm accustomed to watching it on. Oh, yeah, because uh, everything is being pulled into one of the worst streaming (laughs) services in existence, the Paramount Plus application and streaming service. Pulled into the Nexus, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, Uh, Good luck dodging around episode to episode in that rat's nest. (laughs) (laughs) It was all right because I have that as like an add-on for my um, Apple TV Plus app. Mm-hmm. So that- it straight up won't play in Safari for me. I've got to use Chrome to play anything in Paramount Plus. Wow, that's wild. Um, yeah, that's a drag, man. That's not what you want. Janeway's log tells us that uh, they've decided to take shore leave on Nakani, and it's in the Star Trek caves of Nakani that we find BLT. Kim, Kess, and Neelix doing a walking tour of their crypt, Yeah, which is like, God, these people are such fucking nerds. What kind of shore leave is this? <laughs> I got to say, man, if you can go to the catacombs when you visit Paris, it's like one of the great things to do there. It's You can't believe ben, it. I've been on a starship for years, <laughs> breathing the stale air of said starship. It's just nothing but farts and the smell of a hospital. Mm-hmm. The one thing I want to do is go down to a planet and visit the caves. <laughs> you, you're saying you don't want to be topside getting some fresh air? Of Nakani, give me a break. We never see the surface of this planet. And from space, it does not look great. It's like... Wouldn't you like to feel the heat of their sun on your skin? It doesn't look that great on the surface, man. Like the orbital shots of the planet make it look like a real dump. This is City Alpha 5! Nerds! (laughs) I'm defending this. Uh, What I'm not defending is uh, Kess and Neelix getting separated from the tour group. Like two small children. Yeah, or like horny teens in a horror film, you know? Yeah, this episode really reminds us that Kess and Neelix are a thing again. Yeah. In a way, like with terms of endearment and stuff that we haven't gotten for a long time. Been a while. Yes, they sneak off to go check out another part of the caves. And Kess is quite taken with this gaping maw of searing blue light looks like a shrine tell you what Kess sees in this scene a way out (laughs) (laughs) look at that it's beautiful because either she goes through the wharf lightning stargate or it kills her and i think either of those are acceptable outcomes yeah yeah she walks up to this thing gets a face full of wharf lightning and she's ko'd yeah we get neelix eyes to theme 
And after that, BLT is like on the scene with Kim, like doing that first responder triage. And she gets Cass and Neelix beamed right up to Six Bay pretty much directly. And Tam Elbrin is extremely pissed off about what happened in this moment. Such loss, empty pain, hollowness. Tom, stop this. He's been the tour guide for the whole thing. And he's like, I told you to stick together. Yeah. I told you not to run off and jump into the Wharf Lightning Stargate. And this is what happens when you leave the tour group. Yeah. Kim and BLT kind of respond to his force with a force of their own, which is like, why the fuck are you keeping Wharf Lightning Stargates around here that can shock our crew people? We're going to find out what happened here. and We're going to get to the bottom of it immediately. Why, why were there no like rope stanchions around the Wharf Lightning Shrine? Right. If you're letting people come down here on tours, uh, this seems like it's it's kind of weird energy that they're coming at him with. It's umbrage v umbrage, right? Yeah, they're like they're like sad that their crew member is hurt, but they do have that sort of Karen. I want to speak to your manager energy of like. So what if I like broke a glass door in your in your store? I'm I'm angry about this other thing. Yeah, it's like if Wesley tripped and fell into a a gardened area on the Edo planet, and <laughs> and like they responded in that moment with like torpedoes. <laughs> Yeah, it is explained that the spirits are punished Cass for going somewhere where she wasn't supposed to go, and they're being asked to leave post-haste. Right. Interesting credit pops up when we come up to the ship to check in in Six Bay, Adam. Did you, did you notice who directed this episode? I did. It's B-Dunks. B-Dunks with his directoral debut. Hell yeah. This is the first thing he ever directed. Yeah. And I don't think he appears in the episode, does he? He appears in a non-speaking role. But I read some interesting things about how it came to be that B-Dunks directed this one. Enlighten me. He, like many cast members, have had their eye on the director's chair. And like Star Trek has routinely been a great director's school for cast members who have wanted to get into that. This is something that Jonathan Frakes has talked about a lot. If one were to sit next to him on an airplane, I'm sure he would tell you all about this. This is like one of his favorite stories to tell, mm. like about how great Star Trek is as a as a director's school. But how would you get him on the subject? You'd have to say something to him. No way. You'd have to be a good conversationalist. Not a chance. You'd see him there and you'd be like, well, he's a busy man. He's an important man. He's clearly <laughs> doing work for his job on this plane. Who am I to interrupt that? Who are you indeed? <laughs> B-Dunks is like, look, uh, I want to get into the rotation. I've been I've been studying. I've been watching people. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to people like Jonathan Frakes. I bought myself one of those little eyepieces that all the cool directors have. Oh, yeah. That's like the first thing you buy. Hangs I got myself a Bolex camera to just stick on the corner of my desk. <laughs> Make it look like I'm a filmmaker. Uh-huh. Am I making any sense here? So B-Dunks is like, look, man, you got to consider me. I've got the desire. What I don't have is the experience. Yeah. And I think I could get that here. Director is one of those jobs that is impossible to get unless you have directing experience. Yeah. It's a real catch-22. So he chats up Rick Berman and he's like, hey, remember... B-Dunks is your guy. <laughs> Remember this. <laughs> Berman's like, cool. 
whatever, knowing that Berman assigns directors to full seasons, like the scheduled directors is like more or less in stone. Wow. Ahead of time. Well ahead of time. So B. Dunks is satisfied that he's gone to the top of the mountain, made his appeal, thought the appeal was good, goes back to work. Anyway, Jonathan Frakes is assigned to this very episode, Sacred Ground. But Frakes needs to direct Star Trek First Contact. So in a very unusual move, Jonathan Frakes pulls out, thus allowing... Thus inspiring the opening shot of First Contact and leaving a seat open. (laughs) Right. For one Robert Duncan McNeil. Wow. And so this is the the fucked up part. B-Dunks is like at a convention or something, like doing convention shit. He gets an emergency call from his wife. He's like, B-Dunks. That's what they call each other. That's what she calls him. I had a conversation with somebody that uh, knows Robert Duncan McNeil personally, and he casually referred to his friend Bobby McNeil, and it took me a second to like do the math on who he was talking about, and then I was like, whoa. Why would you want to say that many syllables? <laughs> so his wife at the time is like, uh, hey, emergency call on line one uh-huh. from Rick Berman. And he's like, oh shit, I'm getting fired. This fucking sucks. <laughs> Turns out it was Berman telling him, you got the deal. You're going to direct an episode. And that episode was two weeks from now. Oh. (laughs) So B-Dunks goes from thinking that he's prepared to direct an episode to for most seasoned directors being unprepared to direct an episode that is happening in two weeks time from that moment. Yeah. I'm such a slow reader. It'd probably take me like a month just to get through a shooting script. Right. So in addition to his other duties on the show, he is reviewing the script and creating a shot list and doing all the things you need to do in order to pre-direct an episode. And I mean, not to cut to the end, but a super ably directed episode, especially given its subject matter. Yeah. It really makes the case for him as a director. And, yeah. and it's a heavy script. It's no, no light lift. No. In Six Bay, they learn that Kess is basically in a coma but it's like all of the readings that the doc is getting don't line up with what is presenting physically and it just doesn't make any sense uh neelix is in full bedside panicking partner mode and janeway has a meeting with the like head of state guy that was giving the tour before who explained, like, hey, listen, like, there's not really much I can do. I'm a political guy. This is a planet that has a really strong separation of church and state. And the religious community that controls access to the shrine are, like, super offended by what happened. They're, they're really mad that Kess left the tour group and wandered off on her own into the Holy of Holies. Like, that shrine is, like, not really something that outsiders are allowed into. So the fact that she's been punished has satisfied them and uh i don't have any like influence over over it so sorry to say a little friend is gonna die and there's nothing anyone can do about it they've asked me to express their sympathies for your loss Kess is still alive there's something so disturbing slash disgusting about the sanctimony of someone who works in a faith-based bureaucracy like hey i can't do anything about this Mm -hmm. Uh, because you just don't understand our customs and traditions. (laughs) 
And that's why you can't do the thing that you need to do based on anything else. And Tam Elbrin really changes his stripes later on in the episode. I found him like particularly off-putting early on in his defense of the Wharf Lightning Arch yeah. in the face of a medical emergency. And like, here is where that is crystallized. Like, I've been empowered basically to have a job title that is fangless in in any circumstance (laughs) except in apologizing so like oh it's so frustrating to watch him operate here and you can see how frustrated Janeway becomes when faced with this it really makes her rip shit and Janeway and the doctor's like parallel anger in this episode is really powerful because the doctor is like so pissed off that he can't figure out how to fix this and so pissed off that the Nakani like won't even share tips like that. Like nobody even wants to like give them a clue. <laughs> yeah. What Janeway tells the doc is that the monks can go up to this arch without getting shocked. Yeah. There are people that bathe themselves in the wharf lightning and uh, and come away just fine. Wouldn't you have investigated their their robes? Like, I thought immediately, I was like, you got to get your hands on one of those robes. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, like that, Faraday how... robes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, this is a bad thing in medical settings, but Neelix has been doing a bit of his own research about how to deal <laughs> with this condition. And There uh, may be some horse dewormer you're unfamiliar <laughs> with, Doc. I've read one of the Nakani's old fairy tales, and it seems to indicate a course of treatment <laughs> involving the captain also exposing herself to the wharf lightning. And they're yeah. like, well, we don't have any other ideas, so fairy tale treatment it is. And Tam Elbrin is fucking pumped about this. He's like, you read our weird fairy tales and you'd like to do fairy tale? <laughs> Abso-fucking-lutely. Yeah. He's way more excited than Chakotay because when, when Janeway tells Chakotay about her plan, Chakotay's like, I'm actually the only one permitted to have religious vanity on this ship. <laughs> and you're going fully born again Nakani is kind of creeping me out. Yeah. Like, uh, I've got a, a well-established pro-Bindle worldview <laughs> this this makes me feel really uneasy some kind of physiological change maybe this episode made me think that like we've talked a lot about like what it would be like if Chicote had been made the captain of the ship or if Janeway was left behind or killed and that job reverted to Chicote. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think that that is Chicote's number one fear in life is like I have to do everything in my power not to have to be the captain of this fucking ship. In many ways, he's vice president. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's such a chill job. Like, he doesn't, yeah. like, the buck doesn't stop with him. He gets to offer his opinion. He can be, like, forceful with it if he feels really pow- passionately about it. But for the most part, the shit flows uphill. We've been in this place a couple of times recently in the last few episodes. Is this Chicote's quarters? Uh, or is this just an office space that he keeps on the ship? He hasn't. This is referred to in this episode as Chakotay's office. I kind of love that. Yeah, yeah. There's coffee in Chakotay's office. I think it's fucked up, though, that he has a window in his office and BLT doesn't in her quarters. <laughs> That's messed up. Maybe she'll uh, propose a trade at some point. <laughs> yeah. So Tam Elbrin FaceTimes Janeway toward the end of this meeting. And he said, the monks have approved the plan. Great news. 
And this is also the moment in the episode where where Tam himself is totally jacked about the possibility of saving Kez's life. Even though moments ago, he was like, this is just what the spirits wanted. They yeah. wanted to murder Kes, and my hands are tied. So they're going to send the captain down with like the nano blood of a recent James Bond film. Now, you may feel a small Christ prick. Where the doctor can monitor her vitals the entire time she's gone and a subdermal computer chip so she can like tap her arm like a com badge and instantly beam out of there if the situation gets too hairy. Hey, you know what would be great? That all the time. (laughs) Is there any reason that there's like a half-life on that? Just leave it in. Yeah, absolutely. But the idea is like whatever Janeway has to do to prepare for the ritual, whatever you do to get ready to do shrine will (laughs) reveal a way to protect yourself from the effects of the wharf lightning and therefore may indicate a path to treating Kess. Because at this point, the EMH has zero ideas about how to proceed and Kess only gets worse by the day. So Janeway turns down the dust buster. Yeah. She gets all the subdermal gear that she wants but you can't put a a dust buster under your skin yet (laughs) so kim beams her down and uh that's the last time we see kim this episode basically kim on the sideline for sure hi captain in the caves janeway materializes and uh everyone kind of freezes her out it's like she beams into seattle like just on any block (laughs) (laughs) a pretty a pretty chilly welcome for somebody that you know like tam elbrun led her to believe that everybody was really jazzed about this idea so it is not exactly get more tam yeah but tam's not religious no He's secular. And so yeah. Janeway starts tricordering and walks over to a lady who is doing a bit of maintenance on a flickering wall sconce in the Star Trek cave. I don't suppose you know anything about chromodynamic lights. No, not really. You have one of these in your house? I've got a recessed can light situation on this very level of my home, and I just cannot get the buzz out of it. Oh, man. That would it's drive me crazy. buzzy forever. Yeah, I... I got to go in there. I got to get in those guts. You don't want to buzz in your can. Yeah. It's got to be a fluorescent then. No, it's an LED can light that I installed replacing what was in there before. And it's made for dimming, but it's buzzing on the dimmer. What the fuck? You got to want to make sure (laughs) you purchase dimmable lighting for all your home renovations (laughs) so that you don't get the buzz that that tends to turn my impression into a Christopher Walken. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no because the buzz the buzz can make you crazy <laughs> it makes you crazy no one can stand it the buzzing it never ends it's surprisingly good dancer <laughs> you could b- replace the lights over and over if the buzzing remains you're better off just selling the house <laughs> sell it to your friend or a family member Stick them with your problems. I'm going to need you to stop that impression. (laughs) (laughs) A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time 
that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Latin word now. Are you planning a heist? Gold. This lady in the scene, I expected to be just like someone we see for a moment. But I love the reveal here because a very chatty lady is working on this flickering light and she ends up being a pickpocket and Janeway's guide. Yeah, she she snatches the tricorder away from Janeway, pockets it and says, cool, this is mine now. Yeah. You're not going to need it anymore. And it dawns on Janeway that this is her spiritual guide or guru or et cetera, et cetera. And the lady's like, yeah, you can... Call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. Well, let's go anoint you and get you ready to do shrine. 
you watch the Rick Steve special on going to Nakani. This is why he always recommends wearing your tricorder in a fanny pack inside <laughs> your belt. Right, yeah. Under the shirt thing. That's yeah. super humiliating when your dad gets out the traveler's checks bearing his furry belly to the fucking hotel clerk. <laughs> That's the part that Rick Steves never talks about. Yeah. He's like, yeah, these are totally useful and totally unpickpocketable, but I'd like to see you, Rick Steves, fucking whip it out <laughs> in the lobby of a hotel <laughs> and not be ashamed of yourself in that moment. Yeah. Rick Steves did not tell Janeway that she was going to have to get fully nude in this uh, <laughs> in this shrine visit. Uh, it seems like Janeway was cooler about getting nude than she was about someone touching her bun. Yeah. Yeah, She's uh, she's been stripped down uh, to her birthday suit. She's getting, like, face paint put on her by some acolytes here. This is, like, the part of the party in between the 3 and 4 a.m. hour where, like, you're staying for it or yeah. you're leaving at this moment. Yeah. It's getting weird, guys. <laughs> This is like the third location of the night and you don't know who owns this apartment. Yeah. And you know like three of the people at this party. Yeah. Starting to wonder like if it's so late that I wind up needing to sleep here, what is that going to entail? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like pre-Uber and Lyft. So like, yeah. what do you do? There's no, there's no way you're getting home if you don't leave now. But also... Yeah. You might want to see how this unfolds. But also, it's college, so there may be some exciting experimentation happening uh-huh. very shortly. I think that the thing that would put your mind at ease in a situation like that would be if you were led into another room and Estelle Harris was hanging out in there. I was delighted by this moment. So good. It looks like my mother. You get her so briefly here. I'm like, ah. Oh. Bring her back. I know. Because the promise is Janeway's going to have to be in this room for a very long time. Oh, it's been as long as we can remember. And this is something she takes great umbrage with. So much umbrage that she bangs on the door to yeah. get out of there. This scene is sort of a, like, she's like asking them, like, how long are, are you guys all waiting for the ritual too? And they're like, yeah, we've been here for, I mean, they indicate that they've basically been there forever and- she realizes that this is sort of a combination of Sartre meets Seinfeld. It's no exit with Estelle Harris and <laughs> Captain Janeway for some reason. You ever take a philosophy class and you just you just don't understand it? Has anyone ever done this? These existentialists who don't know if they exist? Who are these people? Uh, <laughs> oh, I was so disappointed. Like, she moves on to the next level, and it definitely feels like levels as Janeway's moving through this environment, right? As she moves along home through this environment. Uh, the guide is on the other side of the door. Janeway's like, I mean no disrespect, but who the fuck are these olds? Yeah. The next yeah. level is sort of the art gallery at a mid-tier liberal arts college in a small town in New England. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Specificity makes comedy, Ben. <laughs> the next challenge is like, look at this rock. Tell me what you see. And it's a real strain. 
And we cut up to Six Bay where the doctor is like talking about symptoms. And I totally thought he was talking about Kess initially because he just says she's going through this, this and this. And Chakotay is all worried. And then you realize that what he's talking about is what the captain is going through. What you want to do is a bunch of stretching to make sure the lactic acid moves out of your muscles. Right. Which is the thing that causes the pain after a workout. Right. This is what Janeway hasn't done. And as you get older, it becomes more and more important. Yeah. Janeway is made to hold this stone out in front of her for a very long time. Yeah. And then we like smash cut to her finger painting and like it's sort of a free form painting exercise where nobody's telling her what to paint. It's kind of like the non-nudity scenes of an episode of Real Sex on HBO. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's, that's the vibe of this. Yeah. Yeah. Rock climbing, finger painting, yeah. uh, feats of strength. <laughs> oh, now this guy's smashing his balls. Yeah, like, like I'm 11. I just want to see some boobs. Yeah. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. Come on. Let's fast forward. Oh, TiVo doesn't exist yet? Fuck. There's like 10 lines from this episode that are going to make the new mysterious Twitter feed greatest gen out of context. <laughs> I saw that Twitter feed. I'm excited about that. I'm excited and fearful. (laughs) (laughs) There's like the sequence of her trying to scale a cliff and barely hanging on. And then we get back into the present where it is revealed that all of these challenges have been occurring while she's holding the stone, which is now glowing. We're sort of outside of time in a way. And staring at the rock maybe is causing her to trip or it's just the fatigue that's causing her to trip. But the doc in Six Bay is talking to Neelix and he's like, yeah, like there's like a buildup of enzymes that does sort of lead me to believe that maybe like something about this ritual primes the body in some way that the presence of certain chemical compounds that are generated by this kind of stress would protect you from something about the field. We still don't know anything about the field, and the Nakani won't tell us anything about it. It's the first piece of data that allows me even to formulate a hypothesis. I mean, it would be great if we could study the robes, for instance. Right. Like, if we could only study the robes, maybe that would be the key to this whole thing. Neelix is going through that kind of like survivor's guilt, the I wish it was me, not her stuff. And the doctor's like, shut the fuck up, Neelix. You didn't say anything like this when they killed Tufix. Get out of here. Mr. Neelix, you're wallowing. I'll have to ask you to stop. But also goes right back into a support role, which I kind of got the bends from because (laughs) Neelix is wallowing and then the doc fucking smashes his nuts for wallowing and then comes over and gives him like what feels like very sincere support and it made me not believe this scene in a weird way like Hmm. i think this is a an extremely difficult episode to direct and cut together because it's so magical Right. That it made me disbelieve moments like this where I'm like, well, why is the doctor being so ni- nice to Neelix? Like, this isn't in his programming. He's never like this. So it, it planted the seed of doubt, which I don't think was intentional. Or maybe it was. Yeah. I didn't quite get that. I, I thought it was like a, the doctor's like, shit, like, I, I need this guy out of here, but like, I need to give him something. I, I need to give him a beat to step to. So mm-hmm. this is like the fastest way for me to clear the six bay so that I can get back to work. 
Right. But right. yeah, like only under duress would the doctor have that good of bedside manner, I feel like. I love that read. Like that's the manipulation. He turns nice <laughs> just to make Neelix less of a problem. <laughs> like self-preservation nice. Yeah, exactly. My kind of nice when I'm out in public. Sure. <laughs> Down in the liberal arts college art gallery, Janeway has finished with holding the stone and uh, is starting to look a little wan. Um <laughs> The uh, spiritual guide lady gives her some some tea to drink. And, you know, Janeway's like, come on, you got to let me, like, complete this ritual. And, if uh, the guide was good at her job, she'd lead Janeway into maybe, like, a short five-minute stretch. Yeah. Just to get the lactic acid out. Right. If you're, like, you know, attending a gym because it's January and you're trying to get back in shape or something, and the personal trainer at that gym is not guiding you through a calisthenics routine... Get the hell out of there. That, that person is as reliable as this spiritual guide, <laughs> which is to say they will encourage you to put your arm in a basket with a snake in it. What's in the box? Pain. Yeah. And then bury you alive in a kind of mecha grave situation <laughs> and then shut the lid on top of you. <laughs> Maybe that's the kind of personal trainer you want. We're not here to yeah. judge. I don't know what CrossFit is. That could be CrossFit. Yeah, maybe, is that maybe CrossFit? that's what that is. <laughs> maybe that's why it inspires such passionate cult-like <laughs> adherence from its members. You push a giant tire into an open coffin and then you jump, it, you jump in and have the lid closed on top of you. Mm -hmm. That's CrossFit. That's what it is. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Back in Six Bay, we get a label on the amount of time that's passed, which I was I was grateful to get. Three days is yeah. how long Janeway's been under. It's a lot of days. It's an extremely long CrossFit exercise she's got going. Yeah. Uh, the doc, though, does not find this to be cause for concern. The doc says, hey, vitals are stable. Even the lactic acid, not a problem right now. But Chakotay is in his face, like, speculating wildly about what might be going on down there. And he's like, look, if she's tripping balls, she's not going to hit her personal transporter. Right. If she is not of sound mind, we know she's not of sound body, but if she's not of sound, like, listen, man, I have a pro-ritual bias. I'm into this. Hey, I think her body's good, Ben. What are you saying? <laughs> I think that this is just Chakotay fighting like hell not to have to be the captain. Chakotay's the only one permitted to take psychedelics on the ship. And I think he's taking great umbrage with the idea that anyone else would. Yeah. Like, this is cultural appropriation. I find it to be very ugly. You know, it's, it's okay if you celebrate my culture, but just taking it as your own is not cool. I've never tripped the way Janeway is because she wakes up on this beach. It's yeah. beautiful, calming, and the guide's there. The guide's like, hey, nothing matters. Nothing matters, so you don't need to care. Just let go. And Janeway's like, all right, this is the moment, right? I need to make the request. I need to ask for the spirits to heal my Kess. I'm at the end of this spiritual journey. I'm, I'm going to be talking to the, to the ancient spirits that, that control this energy. Welcome to Lawyer Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> she cites the, pre the precedent of the, the, uh, the fairy tale of King Nevid. It's crazy, like one of the spirits is known for never having spoken in court for like decades, <laughs> and somehow they're connoted some sort of genius reputation, Yeah, when really they had to do zero work at all, like for, for 30 years. Despite, cool. despite the fact that it's a credibly accused spirit of uh, abuse of spirit power. and Yeah, this is a spirit that stuck a pube on a, on a co-worker's soda can. 
<laughs> what a fucking awful spirit. <laughs> Fuck that spirit. I mean, it sounds like it works, right? Everything visually, the, vi- the visual language is like, she did it. Yeah. She made the appeal and the guide's like, cool. They heard you. Yeah. You have everything you need because he didn't need any of this. The Schwartz is in you, Lone Star. It's in you. She pulls her up out of the techno sarcophagus and Janeway is looking really wan at this point. I really do not like this rum, but it's working. <laughs> You're totally right. It is, um, it's not sweet in any way. Yeah, it's, it's funky. It is a savory rum. It's a funky rum. But it's not like a pachuga in that like, Pachuga's funky, but I still appreciate its mezcal yeah. notes. Yeah. But this is this is almost like if you told me I would not guess that this is even rum. I think I that the process it. it's the same, like it's made out of sugar cane, but like they leave a lot more of the like husk on or something like that. I'm I'm not the right person to ask. I'm not an expert, but it's like it the process is really different from Spanish style or English style rum. Would you ever mix this with anything? Yeah, absolutely. Like a, like a soda, probably. Yeah, I used to get like, like a, 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 a French Mai Tai at my favorite restaurant in Greenpoint, which sadly is no longer. But um, was it a very loud restaurant? <laughs> what would you like to order? <laughs> Here are your appetizers. <laughs> Ordering a Mai Tai with fluffy tropical appealing to everyone flavors is a war crime. <laughs> this one, a more acquired taste. Did everyone save room for dessert? <laughs> so Janeway goes back with the assurance from her spiritual guide that uh, that was all meaningless. That didn't, she didn't actually need to do any of that stuff. The, she had the answer she needed all the time. Uh, she has given back her uniform and tricorder. And the- it's really like end of a spa day vibes. Yeah. Like, Right. All right, here's all your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't catch Legionnaire's disease from this or whatever. <laughs> Some kind of foot fungus. <laughs> On Voyager, like things seem great. And I'm looking at the time. I'm like, there's 15 minutes left. The doc is like, cool, we got everything we need from, from your experience. I'm going to implant it in the cast. Yeah. Who is still on the slab, but not Juan at all. No. No, they put a clip show device on her forehead and the doc is like kind of cracking his knuckles. This is going to be done in no time. Let's let her rip. Yeah. And then this is like the scene you get in in so many medical dramas. The hope dashed almost immediately Mm -hmm. and a Neelix there to just fly in the ointment this entire situation. Hmm. What does that mean? Hmm. What? They thought that that toxin that was building up in Janeway from all the stress was the key. But it turns out this treatment is absolute dog shit. Using a fairy tale to guide your medical practice is, it turns out, a poor idea. <laughs> yeah, it turns out uh, that their gods did not give them all of the uh, imperviousness they needed yeah. to to confront this illness. And so Janeway goes to confront the guide about this bullshit and the guide was like, I told you, basically, you didn't need any of this and you wouldn't have taken it if we had given it to you. We gave you what you wanted. And what you wanted was this linear series of tests. You came down here demanding to be taken on a spiritual journey. And so we gave you a spiritual journey and the meaninglessness of it was intentional. <laughs> it was there to show you that it was meaningless. 
Right. So they get Janeway back in her karate gi to try again, and this time not. They washed the the robe though, right? I or hope do you so. think that's the same robe that she wore earlier for Ugh. three days straight, mm. buried alive? That's the smell of justice. Smells like hot dogs. I sure hope so. And uh, she is let back into the Sartre room, the uh, running Curb Your Enthusiasm waiting room joke. You're just using this waiting room to wait. And she has a conversation with these olds, and it turns out that these olds may in fact be the spirit guides. I found this episode kind of trite up until this moment, Mm -hmm. but this scene is the scene of the episode. It's the centerpiece of the whole thing. Really tied the room together, did it not? Because this argument between the value of faith and science and Janeway's inflexibility in her beliefs seen as like both a strength and a weakness is really interesting shit. And it's articulated in a way that doesn't turn me off as an atheist. Like, right. Like I, I'm totally here for all of it because I like arguing this stuff. And it is posing interesting questions and and reposing many interesting questions that you didn't even realize were being posed initially throughout the earlier parts of the episode and then coming to interesting and challenging conclusions. Like some of the conclusions that are come to in this scene are slightly uncomfortable for me, but I think that discomfort comes from how compelling they are. Right, right. And the conclusion of this scene doesn't give you the answers it's not sanctimonious it does not tie everything in a nice bow there seems to be an understanding there that is unsaid and i think that's crucial for as much as is said in this scene the conclusions of the scene are not articulated the conclusion that janeway makes though it, it that we extrapolate from her actions is that she needs to make a leap of faith she needs to walk into the same field, the same shrine that is in the process of killing Kess as sort of a leap of faith, as a surrender of, you know, her beliefs are that given a long enough timeline, they can ascertain a mechanism whereby that can be safely entered. And therefore, we just need to do the science and do it until we're reasonably certain of of the way forward and what the spirit guides have persuaded her to try is just to go try. So Janeway radios up to Chakotay and she's like, come down here with Kess and make sure she's laying on an upholstered storage bench you'd find under a big bay window. (laughs) (laughs) I, I couldn't take my eyes off this thing. Yeah. I don't understand the idea. It doesn't look like the bio beds in Six Bay. Why didn't they have Chakotay beam down with Kess in his arms? And then he could give her over to Janeway. I think that would have been such a powerful image. Yeah. It's it a looks weird silly bed, with her too. laying on that bench. Yeah. It's got like some weird like structure that you can just see hinted at yeah. also. Yeah. Yeah. This is that's not the best part of this episode for sure. One thing that does look great in this episode is the shrine itself. I thought it looked yeah. awesome. And for a build once and use in one episode thing, absolutely. And Janeway has a brief conversation with Neelix and Chakotay to persuade them that like I am not doing this under duress. I'm not doing this because I've lost my mind as part of these rites and rituals. I'm doing this because I believe that this is the way to save Kess. 
Neelix expresses the idea that like he doesn't want to lose the captain also if they are potentially running that risk. But the captain feels like the the running the risk itself is like part of how they're gonna save her. Coffee, do it. Black. Coffee. Black. Make it, make it, make it yourself. We are barely into the third season of this show, and I can think clearly of a handful of moments where Picard asked his crew to trust him on something that the crew was not able to understand in that moment. I'm thinking specifically of all good things. Yeah. In the end, which was a ask made based on history, unlike interpersonal history. I'm thinking of that moment in early season TNG when Picard took over the ship. And I think it was that episode where no one has gone before where he like he took the ship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And there were a few other. Oh, uh, Star Trek First Contact also like where he's ordering people to defend the ship in the face of the Borg, even though it was a suicide mission. Right. Those are moments in the show where, like, that were grounded in more time. Yeah. And if there was a moment in this episode that clanged for me, it was that the show makes you believe that Janeway has earned the ability to ask Chakotay to let her do it, to trust her. And I'm not sure if I believe. I wanted to believe this so bad. Yeah. And I just didn't believe Chakotay and Neelix would allow her to do this when clearly she was tripping balls and clearly they haven't been together long enough for them to take Janeway's word for this. I believe it more for Chakotay than I do Neelix because I think that this kind of plays into his character's, you know, willingness to leave things in the world to be matters of faith. Yeah. Neelix maybe less so, but also Neelix is like more easily cowed as a character, you know? Right. Yeah. But yeah, like there's a moment where Janeway like has spoken to them each about this and then starts like walking past Chakotay to go get Kess. And I was like, wait, she's already going to grab Kess? Yeah. (laughs) I thought so much about how you need to get the physicality of this moment, right? Yeah. Because you can't really show Janeway pick up Kess's body from the bench because that's awkward. Yeah. Because anytime anyone picks up anyone else, there's always that adjustment of like, the you get the pickup and then you got to like, <laughs> like get them up there. Yeah. And you can't have Janeway like fireman carry Kess through there because that would look weird. <laughs> well, that huh is kind of the the move when Janeway steps into the shrine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's where they save it. And I think that's the right moment, but you can't huh on the pickup. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the huh works, Adam. Yeah. Kess, yeah, the wharf lightning shocks them both. Kess opens her eyes and is, and is back. Janeway looks down at her. The cast has opened her eyes. <laughs> Pale blue colored eyes. <laughs> the button on the episode is a little moment in Six Bay where Doc Holliday explains something. Oh, something. I can't get with this rum, dude. <laughs> God, it could lay down forever. I, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't mean to inspire you to drink something you didn't like. No, I mean, I'm glad I killed it. I have no idea how we got through an entire bottle. I think I just like sweet rum. But the noobs you got me isn't necessarily sweet, and I like it. No, that's a funky rum. You know, we'll find you a rum you love, buddy. Thanks, man. I'm sure there's a captain on it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a conversation early in the episode between Chakotay and 
the captain where Chicote describes that there's like this kind of moment of disappointment when his mother explained some of the scientific understanding of like what goes on when you do a vision quest. In a way, I felt disappointed. Some of the mystery was gone. This suggestion that this is something that Chicote's parents argued about was so present here yeah. and unregarded. Like, we've seen his dad before. Yeah. And his dad is like a mega spiritual. Super duper spiritual. And to hear that his mom might have been sciencey is an interesting take. And that scene is very much evoked in this button because the doctor is explaining a sciencey explanation for why Janeway was able to save Kess using the strategy that she did. The metabolic treatment I administered protected you against the full impact of exposure to the field when the captain took you through. From his perspective, it was just dumb luck that it worked, but it worked yeah. because X, Y, Z. And you can see it wash over Janeway's face, a little bit of disappointment that there was, in fact, a scientific explanation for it. Yeah, I mean, she's just somewhere else in this scene in a way you just never see Janeway. Yeah. And I love how we kind of move in on her with the camera. Yeah, she just gets like a little beat, like standing by the door by herself before she walks out. I don't feel like the camera moves very dynamically in this episode before this moment. And then it really makes itself known when it does. Really strong ending to an episode. But did you like the episode overall, Adam? I really did, and I, I kind of watched it with the scrutiny of someone who wanted to figure out how a B-Dunks would direct it, mm -hmm. and I was really delighted with, with what I saw and experienced. Like, I feel like, God, you if I were him and I were, and I were reading the script, I would be terrified by this <laughs> as a first-time director. Yeah. Like, this does not seem easy on the page at all. And the chances of getting the the vision quest acts, aspects of it fucked up. Yeah. Like Star Trek has occasionally blown shit like this before. I thought so many times in this episode about how much more successful this was than like half of the profit experiences in DS9. And that's what I mean when I talk about Star Trek blowing spiritual experiences yeah. are, are so many of those profit experiences from DS9. This fucking ruled it's like a, a well-written episode it's not flawlessly directed but it's capably directed yeah it, i thought it was a really strong app one of the things i read about the production of this episode was how like when an actor directs other actors it's a different vibe right and how much everyone appreciated what b dunks brought to that relationship was evident with what we see but i also want to call attention to a strong guest star or group of guest stars can really bail you out of a story that could be just on the edge yeah. of an episode that could be on the line of being good or bad. Definitely. And the magistrate was, was Tam Elbrin, like a fun bit of casting there. But all of the olds in that room, as well as the guide... All of their line reads felt like they came from a different show. Yeah. And some and on other episodes of The Greatest Generation, I would call that out as being a flaw. Like like this is a clang and it's not working. But there was something about their reads that was so different that just radiated a kind of like spiritual warmth that I really loved and yeah. enjoyed and and they were funny. 
Yeah. F- and Star Trek doesn't do funny very well very often. And I mean, that's what you get with an Estelle Harris. Like every time she just can't help it. She's great. <laughs> but the but the woman who played the guide was brilliant. Yeah, the, she was really The two funny. old men were, were brilliant. I think they're the most memorable part of this show was that was the group of guest stars here. And I really loved every scene with them. And I think that was a reason to like this episode for sure. Yeah. It was uh, kind of a surprising experience. Like being buried alive in a CrossFit workout. (laughs) Do you want to see if we have any uh, surprising priority one messages in the inbox, Adam? Oh, yeah. They always surprise. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Ken. It's to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. Over the years, your podcasts have entertained me immensely and recently have helped me keep sane through a difficult time. Thank you for all the happiness and joy you've put into the world. Hug your loved ones while you can. Oh, Ken. Gonna go hug my loved ones immediately after this. Yeah, I will, I'll definitely do that, Ken. Sorry you've been going through a patch. And uh, hope hope you have retained your sanity in some pretty insane times. Yeah, much love. Our next Priority One message is from Captain Jake of the Uxbridge Shimoda ship Defested. <laughs> <laughs> and it is to Ben slash and slash or slash Adam slash and slash or slash Danny slash and slash or slash Bree slash and slash or slash Jeremiah slash and slash or the other cabana folks. So this is from Defested to the folks that were in that cabana at Star Trek Las Vegas all those months ago. God, it was so long ago. It was. Uh, the message goes like this. It's the first workday since STLV, and I'm wondering when the ice in my crotch will melt. Hashtag ice crotch challenge. Hashtag STLV 2021. Hashtag greatest Gen Con 2017. Hashtag fuck Razveem. Hashtag 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 Adam R. Pranica. Hashtag Cabana Pagoda. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Defested was there, and I remember, along with everyone else, we all remember what Defested did. Mm, yeah. That'll never, never leave my memory. No. Seared. Uh, quality hangs at STLV. Yeah. And uh, I think of them fondly. What, yeah. a, what a nice day that was. It was, uh, it was a real nice one. Um, wow. Well, if you'd like to uh, leave a impenetrably specific... Priority one message or get the word out about a project you've got going on. Just give us an idea of the temperature of your genitals, I guess. (laughs) You can do all of those things by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and setting up a P1. We really appreciate them. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Hey, Adam. Zap in. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I mean, I was so taken with these guest stars, I just kind of want to take my Shimoda pie and divide it up. Mm-hmm. Like, the two old men, Estelle Harris and the guide. Wow. Uh, I loved all of them. They were so great. I want to give a quarter slice, one quarter portion. <laughs> 
to each of those four guest stars. Uh, just like some of my favorite guest star performances in Star Trek in a very, very long time. Like just enthusiastic love for all of them in this episode. Like really surprising. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. Solid work by them. But my Shimoda is a different person. This is a time code Shimoda, Adam. If you go oh, to shit. four minutes and... Well, I better open up Chrome for some reason. <laughs> and then uh, log into the Paramount Plus and then click on Voyager. And then what I need to do is click on Menu because mm-hmm. it's going to play the next episode yeah. of Star Trek Voyager. And, and I mean, I can't do that because I'm trying to watch this episode we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to get some rations out of Uncar Plot. It's very difficult. I also think it's weird that that like, bloomp, 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 bloomp. The CBS logo with <laughs> with how the logo and the letters line up. Yeah. They don't line up with the blumps. The, like the music tag. Infuriating. Like, like, the, like NBC is like boom, boom, boom. Like like it lines up with, with the letters and the and the peacock and everything. But CBS is like, no, just it's whatever. Just make the letters show up totally irrespective of when the tone shit. drops. Yeah. No one cares about this. They're going to stop giving us screeners of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> We have notes. It doesn't mean we hate them. All right. We want them to be better. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm sure they want us to be better. You can get a look at this guy at four minutes and 26 seconds into the episode. I think I know who you're talking about. So this is when the magistrate, as played by Tam Elbrin. uh, Yep. God damn it. He was almost my pick. (laughs) Is uh, scolding the Starfleets for what happened with Kess. (laughs) The uh, the monk over his left shoulder yeah. toward the right side of the frame is more looking like he does not look mad. He more looks like a kid who stole cookies, who is watching another kid who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar getting punished. Yeah. Like, I feel like this guy did something fucked up with the shrine and is just is more glad that he's not the one getting chewed out by Tam Elburn right now. I mean, I get how this happens. Your head's in the monitor. Like, you're you're looking for Tam Elburn's performance, not necessarily <laughs> keeping this guy in mind, but, like, your eye is drawn to this expression. <laughs> and this is not the expression you're going for. Not the expression he should be making. The other extra on the other side, nailing it, this one guy. Perfect, yeah. Not giving the right energy in this scene. I feel like the other extra should in between takes, kind of elbow the other extra and be like, dude, you are ruining this for me. (laughs) You are killing me right now. Yeah. Come on, man. (laughs) Yeah. You're making all extras look bad. That is a great Shimoda and someone I definitely remember from this moment. Well, Adam, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game and I will tell you about our next episode here on the show, if I can find a way to find a cap within the Paramount Plus interface. Oh, yeah, here we go. The next episode is Season 3, Episode 8, Future's End, Part 1. Oh. Both Voyager and a 29th century Federation timeship, the Eon, are pulled back in time to Earth in the late 20th century. Doc, you telling me you made a timeship? <laughs> Out of a Federation starship? (laughs) Yeah, you heard right. All right, Ben. Well, I'm so glad the die is in my hands. I only seem to to roll for tub. (laughs) You're required to learn as you play. 
roll. Currently, the runabout is on square 30. Yeah. It's the last square of the third row. We're going to see what we get up in this fourth row after I roll this die. Roll it, baby. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ben, I've rolled a two, which puts us on square 32. It's a regular old episode. It looks like it's in the wash from a space butthole. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's not going to affect us. Yeah, that it's just goes right by. It's a regular rolled up by us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice roll, Adam. I feel like we've achieved escape velocity from that second row, which really plagued us for a long time. Yeah, we are, uh, we're not far away from a square which would take us up to the second to the last row. Yeah. That would, that be, would wild. be a lot. Wild stuff. I'm really excited for next week's regular old episode. In the meantime, this show is now produced by Wendy Pretty and hosted by you and me. You can follow The Greatest Generation uh, at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter, where uh, Bill Tilly, the card daddy, runs our social media. You can also find communities of Friends of DeSoto on all the different social media platforms like Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. And Peloton. Oh, yeah. Using the hashtag greatest gen. Yeah. Hey, get something for yourself. Get something nice at podshop.biz. Why not? Podshop.biz? You heard me. Can't believe we have that URL. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be the way we make our money. When we eventually sell podshop.biz <laughs> to like we'll we'll be made whole from the greatest generation project. When uh when like Stitcher <laughs> comes yeah. and buys it from us. Yeah. <laughs> they certainly are buying our show. They'd buy the URL. <laughs> our show is a uh, toxic asset yeah. at best. Um, <laughs> the only people that buy our show are the people that support our show on a monthly basis at MaximumFun.org slash join. Our monthly members now get access to monthly bonus episodes from you and me. We've uh, That's right. got a bunch in the queue and uh, we're, we're planning more all the time. Yeah. Now that we have a uh, a producer, that's going to get easier and easier for us to accomplish. So uh, uh, it's just a tremendous value it when is. you support the greatest generation. It is right? absolutely go get yourself signed up and check that stuff out. Uh, we got to thank Adam Ragusia for the original music that uh, you hear on the program and Dark Materia for the Picard song. Our the original goose. theme music. Still listens to the show. He texted us as we were recording, saying how much he was enjoying it. Oh, really? I didn't see yeah. that. Yeah, he's a he's a famous YouTube man, and he still finds the time to listen to our show. He probably uh, he probably saw that my phone does not accept text messages when he texted us. Yeah. Which, for some yeah, reason, gotta, has been plaguing me for weeks now. You got to get that fixed. I don't know what's going on. It's, I'm no longer believing you're not getting my texts. <laughs> no, my buddy was trying to call me yesterday, and he was like, it goes straight to voicemail. That is bad. It's fucked up. It's not how business gets done. No. You're a boss right now. You're supposed to be getting phone calls. I know. I know. It sucks. Anyways, we got to thank all of those people. And hey, thank you, Ben. 400 episodes. Hey. It's unbelievable. Like, it is sincerely unbelievable to say that, but it is not unbelievable to say how much fun it's been to do with you. So thanks for being such a great friend and co-host for this whole silly thing. Yeah, man, we had a uh, a really tough 2021, both professionally and in our personal lives. And this 
time that we get to spend together making this project has been something that has always been something I look forward to doing throughout that entire thing. And getting to be your comedy partner is one of the great privileges uh, that I've ever experienced. So thank you for 400 great eps, man. Here's to maybe a hundred more. <laughs> and with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where two guys are really trying to keep a lid on how big of a crush they have on Sarah Silverman, probably. What? <laughs> okay. Make it so. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.